Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. And we welcome you to Tennis Channel Live midday coverage on day six of the National Bank Open in Canada. Day session semis are complete in Toronto and Montreal. Night session semis are on the way as we welcome you inside our Tennis Channel studios on this Saturday afternoon. A couple of Hall of Famers alongside. Lindsay Davenport is in studio. Andy Roddick is joining by Skype. I'm Brett Haber. Uh, serve bot my eye. He's much more than a serve bot, Lindsay. That was a comprehensive and long, hard-fought performance by Riley. Yeah, so impressive. And I love what Paul Anacone said there at the end of the match. When his composure is like that and when he's motivated and when Riley stays positive, the sky's the limit for him. And it's so great to see him put everything together. Listen, we've been talking about American men's tennis, what's coming next for so long. And to start putting these kind of results down, it's, it's really huge, not only for Riley, but for all the other Americans that are around him. Yeah, and the big thing is beating guys and going deep. He went deep at Rome, but didn't have a top 20 win. Beating Stefano Tsitsipas, who you know has gone the distance, has won big tournaments before. Beating those guys on the big stages and semis and finals of, of, of big events is going to do wonders for Raleigh Opelka's confidence. That confidence will help him keep that mental attitude throughout the year. This is a huge, huge win for a huge, huge guy. He, he had six previous top ten wins, uh, but never a top five victory before today. Check that box now. What a great week for the big guys. Isner still in with a chance. Opelka into the final. Let's go to Montreal from earlier today. Show you the women's semi highlight that was completed. Sabalenka and Pliskova rematch of the Wimbledon semifinal. Same winner, Lindsay. Yeah, we knew it was going to be a big hitting contest. Both these two great serves, a lot of power from the baseline. But something for Pliskova. She doesn't mind the Sabalenka shots coming at her. And Sabalenka really has so much success when she can overpower opponents. But she struggles to overpower Pliskova. And Pliskova did a phenomenal job of not over only covering the court, also hanging on to her service game. She served very well. That put a lot of pressure on Sabalenka, who then started to make some unforced errors. And Pliskova, give her a lot of credit for just staying calm, playing within herself, certain points she would pull back and see what Sabalenka would come up with at other times she'd pull the trigger this was a, a well-played match from both players but again Karolina Pliskova she has found that extra gear the last six weeks after having a pretty rough six months and now after a Wimbledon final and now a final in Canada she's a real favorite at the U.S. Open yeah third final of the year and they've all been big ones Wimbledon Rome and now Canada here's Kaplish after the match I know she's a tough opponent, you know, sometimes she cannot do much about her game because she just plays amazing winners, but of course, I believe I have my own weapons, and I think uh, because I stayed focused pretty much all, all match today, I didn't have her much uh, chances and many mistakes, I think that's why it went quite easier than in Wimbledon, but uh, of course, super happy with the win. 
Uh, her road to this final breath. This has not been an easy road as well. Played Donna Vekic in her opening match. Amanda Anasimova, who had to come through the qualifying. Cerebos Torma won the last 10 games of the match from 4-2 down in the first set. But the big win over Sabalenka in the semifinals. One set loss, and that was the very first set she played. It was actually the same exact profile on the road, too, that she had at Wimbledon. She didn't face anybody in the top 40 until she played Sabalenka in the semifinals, and she beat her in both tournaments. Andy, uh, Apliskova got to number one in the world five years ago after making the U.S. Open final, and then she maybe stayed steady or even backslid a hair. Do you, do you think based on what we saw at Wimbledon, what we're seeing now that she's back to her highest level? Yeah, the way she hits the ball, it's so flat. She has to feel really good to kind of time it up and play consistently well. One of the big things in this matchup against Sabalenka is she serves big enough. She see, she serves as big or bigger as, as Sabalenka does. Sabalenka can't just take those huge swings on second serves and take control of the rallies like she does against other players. It's a huge advantage. And uh, Pliskova's technique is so basic, right? It's, it's straight back and straight through. So Sabalenka's coming in with these huge shots, and she's still able to firm it up. It's a matchup issue for Sabalenka in this one. Yeah, and I think for you start talking about Pliskova, so much of success is with confidence. She's been number one, as you said. She's played in a Grand Slam final, but she played pretty poor for about six or eight months. But she stayed the course. She continued to work hard. Things have started to fall into place for her. I think she sat around the last couple of years and watched a lot of other players win majors and, and starts thinking, well, why not me? Mm-hmm. She's going bet- She's playing better. I think she goes into the U.S. Open with a lot of momentum. And I know Sabalenka, just a getaway thought on her, will be disappointed not to win this one. But great year. 41 yeah. wins leading the tour. She's been awesome the first eight months of the year. All right, let's go to the early semifinal on the men's side in Toronto. The match that you just saw wrap up here on Tennis Channel. Second straight Masters 1000 semifinal for Opelka after Rome on the clay. Tsitsipas, one of the best in the world. Riley says he's second best in the world, Andy. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know that I'm there yet, but uh, you know, certainly Tsitsipas has looked great throughout the tournament. He's only gotten better as the week goes on, and we knew going into this it was going to be a couple points here and there, maybe someone kind of cheesing out a break somewhere, but uh, Riley really stepping up at the tail end of the business end of the second set breaker. That's different than the Riley Opelka we've seen when he's not super confident. But staying the course, getting into some rallies. And if he starts winning rallies like this against the caliber player like Fitzclaw, sky is the limit literally in figuratively for, for Riley Opelka. Stephanos was not happy during this thing. A couple of balls out of the stadium, throwing rackets, coaching violations. So uh, Riley really, really funded up here on the big points. And as he's taking those big shots, right, not giving Stephanos any rhythm, when he does keep the ball in play, it's frustrating because Stephanos does not have any rhythm. This is exactly the game plan that Riley needed to implement. Kudos is the big guy. Way to go. Hopefully the first of many Masters 1000 finals for Riley Opelka. Here, here, 17 dingers for the big fellow from Palm Coast, Florida, standing O from the NAFTA neighbors. Is, uh, here's the road, too. Bear in mind, Lindsay, he had to save match point in that match against Lloyd Harrison in the round of 16. Yeah, and also look at his first match against Kyrgios. That was a very tough match as well for Opelka. Again, a very tough draw for him to get through to this final, but really played the best match of the tournament today. It was great to see. It was great to see how he was able to handle the pressure and the big moments, how he played his best tennis at the end. And, and I love what also Andy said. It's one thing to get through and you don't beat a top player. How about beating one of the best in the semifinal to get through to the final? Remarkable performance. And, Andy, we, we talked about the serve bot uh, hashtag that he's been signing on the lens after his victories. He talked about it in press yesterday and said it's, it's very tongue-in-cheek and sarcastic because he and Isner consider themselves much more than 
serve bots. And he's, he's proved that, hasn't he? Well, he's proven that he's, he's good at branding this week. I kind of <laughs> like it. I like the serve bot. That's caught, that's caught on quick. Um, yeah, but, I, you know, as a, as a fellow big server, that, you know, not, not as big as these guys, but, you know, that's all you ever hear about is like, oh, well, if I could serve like that, I would be such and such. If that's not all it is. You still have to get your breaks. You still have to play clutch tennis, right? You still have to deliver, deliver in the moments. And uh, he's done that this week. Big John's done that this week. Uh, he's, Opelka's starting to understand the pacing of a match, right? When to go for it, when to take away the rhythm, when to bear down and make balls. It's really fascinating to watch him kind of click this week. Yeah, I think it's so disrespectful to players when, mm -hmm. when it's pointed out, oh, they just have one thing, one shot. It takes so much more, and it, it takes for, for these players decades and decades to, to master not only a shot but the whole game. So I love that he's tongue-in-cheek because mm -hmm. basically, like, you want to bet? I mean, you want to play him <laughs> even just starting out of the hand? No, thank you. Yeah, no. It's ridiculous. As he says to the haters on social media who call him serve but he says, dude, you don't get to be top 20 in the world with just one shot, and uh, that is extremely true. All right, just getting started on an abbreviated TC Live. When we come back, we'll take a look at the should there be coaching in tennis debate as we work our way towards the live second semi in Montreal, Pagula and Georgie. Stay with us on Tennis Channel. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. All right, the debate has raged on in tennis the last couple of weeks about whether or not there should be point-by-point -point coaching. Stefano Tsitsipas started the debate off on Twitter when he said coaching on every point should be allowed in tennis. And then Nick Kyrgios responded to him saying, well, that's a terrible idea. I disagree with Steph. I think we should figure it out alone. And then, of course, Billie Jean King chimed in. And whenever Billie speaks, people listen. And she said coaching on every point should absolutely be legal. It would give tennis coaches a lot more credibility around the world. Here's a sampling of some of what our Tennis Channel colleagues have said on the topic. You know, tournaments 250 and below are still tournaments where there should be some teaching going on. It's where the players that are up and coming are learning how to win matches, learning how to make adjustments. And if we're trying to groom the next round of stars, those are good platforms to do so. I really do think that it's so important for players to figure it out on their own. That's the integrity of our sport. That's the way that we were raised. You know, it's my assets, my best assets, whatever they are, speed, serve or lack of serve, the way that I'm able to figure out points on the fly and adjust my tactics. I think that's really important. I kind of think that tennis, one of the reasons I love it so much is that it's individual, is there's no place to hide. There's, you have to center court at Wimbledon or the U.S. Open or in Canada, and you have to figure it out. And, and as a player, I always felt like that was a great part of your learning curve. It should be legal because... At the end of the day, it's happening constantly illegally, and that just advantages the foreign players who are speaking in different languages. We don't know what they're saying, the coaches are saying to the players. It's hard for the umpire to catch it, and so if you just prevent it, it's 100% it's all the time happening anyway. Might as well make it legal. Either that or we need to get all the chair umpires a Rosetta Stone subscription. Um, Andy, we have not heard from you on this topic. Where do you stand? That's a tough precedent that Ginny said. It, well, everyone's doing it anyway, so just, let's make it legal. I mean, how far do we want to take that just in general? Um, you, you know, I, I actually think there's something that people aren't talking about. 
there's, a, there's an economic side to this, right? The best players in the world can afford a coach. A lot of the players, 80, 90, and 100 in the world, one, they're trying to turn a profit on the year. Two, they split coaches. So God forbid there's a, there's a scheduling conflict. There's just an unfair kind of advantage for the top players that can afford a coach to be there every second of every match. That's not the case on on tour for everybody. So that's something that largely gets ignored. And I, I'm in fully in the camp of what separates us from most sports is the fact that we have to problem solve on the fly by ourselves. It's part of the battle. It's part of the fabric of our sport. Now, I know it, we want to, you know, celebrate coaches, but, you know, we're, we're not all an NBA team with that's getting uh, revenue sharing or whatever else and can afford to hire a coach. It's just not that simple. Hmm. I, I like the way the WTA is doing it now. They've really made it. It's no big deal. The coaches are allowed to communicate with the players if you're sitting in the proper seats. It happens all the time. There have been so many top players over the course of the history of the sport that would look over almost every point and, and get signaled anyways where to go. I, I just think that it's, it happens all the time as well. It's not a big deal. The players still have to figure out what shots to hit at what time, and there's a lot that goes into it. I, I, I do believe it's the only sport where the coach really has no outcome. You put so much time and effort in with your player, and you're sitting there and you're handcuffed if you're following the rules. And you can't do anything about it. The other thing is, if, if you are going to make it illegal, step up tours. Don't mm -hmm. make it the chair umpire's responsibility who has to control so many different things. The score, where the balls are, the ball kid's okay, where are the linesmen, what's uh, everything. They need someone else to call it because it happens all the time. There's no way that Sitsipas' dad should get a soft warning in any match because he does it every match, all, all the match long. Everybody knows it, so either call him on it or let it happen. He got another soft warning in this match today, and Steph didn't seem the least bit phased. Andy, of all the coaches that you had, would it have helped you or hindered you to have someone chirping in your ear on and off throughout a match? It depends on the coach, I think. Uh, <laughs> you know, if, you know, I, I know, uh, I know. My old guy Brad Gilbert would have been in there, and I would have never been able to get him to stop oh talking. Oh my god! So that yeah. Have, that might not have been a thing. But then, you know, there's some that otherwise. But to kind of uh, uh, piggyback on what Lindsay was saying, why don't we do it in coach with coaching penalties specifically? Why do we restart at the beginning of every match? Why can't Sitsipas carry those coaching violations? from match to match, like they do in soccer, right? You get a yellow card in one, you get a yellow card in another, then a red card, you're gone. Those actually parlay in the same tournament. If we're going to get serious about cracking down on coaching so we can get rid of the argument, well, it happens anyways, then let's actually get serious about it. Yeah, okay, chirping I take offense to. Okay. You can coach and not chirp. Well, I, a BG might have chirped <laughs> no, on it. But I think that, I, I don't know, I, it doesn't even have to be every point. A good coach would know when to get involved, when to interject, when, to, when that coach, he or she, could really make a difference. It's not every point where every coach is going to be talking to their player. But I do think, I did not like the on-court coaching, yeah. where it was one time for 60 seconds. I think it should just be allowed to happen naturally, as right now on the WTA Tour it is. And should the coaches continue to be miked if they no, allow it? No, that's not. Because no. part of it is they want it to be interesting for television viewers. You say no? I, I think it should be for the benefit of the player and mm. to raise the level of the tennis, not so that the viewers have a big disadvantage with the language. That's true. In this country, if you spoke a different one. All right, let us know what you think. The debate rages on. You can hit us at any of the Tennis Channel social media platforms. Use the hashtag coaching. We want to do a quick social media check. Look who's sending out baby pics. It's Caroline Wozniacki and daughter Olivia. So cute. You know I love a big, good baby pic, Brett. I know. And, but did you notice, Andy, that uh, her sponsors appear to be remaining loyal? I see 
Well, you can't see under the sign there, but that baby has some really tiny Adidas shoes oh, on. Oh, so cute. And uh, that's a Babolat little tiny racket next to her head, right? Listen, Caroline's smart. She gets the game. Listen, setting up the sponsorships for the next generation. I love it. And talk about some athletic genetics in that baby. Oh, my goodness. Keep an eye out for Olivia Lee. All right. Uh, David Lee, NBA player, retired as well. Uh, remember during the pandemic, during the hiatus last year, how Roger Federer started the whole 100 volley challenge oh, against the wall at his house? Well, he's moved to the ping pong table, Andy. Well, the thing I see about this is, like, Roger Federer only plays ping pong on the best mahogany woods. <laughs> right? Like, like, look at this. Like this. He doesn't fly southwest. He only plays on, like, lacquered wood. Right? <laughs> I was thinking that's the nicest ping pong table I've ever seen also. Ever seen. Yeah. I, I don't have I don't floors that nice. I don't know what the yellow writing is there. It probably says, like, goat or something. I don't know. <laughs> it probably says something amazing. It's probably branded. Uh, I'm sure that there's some kind of uh, tie-in that Tony Godzik has arranged, but too bad the guy didn't have any hand-eye coordination. Yeah, exactly. All right, Roger, we hope to see you at the U.S. Open. If not uh, sooner, maybe Labor Cup afterwards. We don't know. Things are up in the air, we hear. Uh, final thoughts on this uh, Georgie Pagula match, LD? I've just been so impressed with Jesse Pagula. It is not easy to be playing the late show every match. And especially after the Collins win last night, fighting back against Angebur down a 6-1, 5-4, love 30. Jabur was serving for the match, and Pagula showed a lot of heart. I hope she has enough energy in the tank. Camilla Georgie has been playing the best tennis of her career the last six or eight weeks or so. So what should the tactics be knowing that Georgie has one gear, she goes full out on every ball that she hits? Do you have to be extra patient when you play an opponent like that? I would think that for Pagula, it's extend the rallies. One thing that at Georgie, the biggest thing she's improved on is her rally tolerance. She's given herself a a little bit more margin. She's not pulling the trigger quite as quickly, but she's still getting that pace. But you got to challenge her. One thing Coco Goff was not able to do was get Georgie in the corners, get her on the run. Pagula's got to absorb pace early in the rally, try and, and really lengthen and extend the court. What do you think, Andy? Tactics? Yeah, exactly. You got to keep the space between, as Dave Matthews, as Dave Matthews would say, <laughs> right? Like Pagula, you, you know Georgie's gonna gonna come out of her. She, she's she's gonna attack. So the goal for Pagula has to be to make her attack from further back in the court, right? And kind of uh, take risks from deep in the court, from bad positions. Uh, the other thing that we need to kind of keep in mind as this is going on is uh, if Pliskova is superwoman, Pagula this year has been kryptonite, right? So you, you, that that matchup causes a. Uh, push of a stress, so she wants Georgie to win this match. Very good, and since you went with the Dave Matthews reference as the players walk onto the court, I will say that the ants are marching. Uh, players uh, <laughs> coming onto center court for the second semifinal. Pagula against Georgie. We'll have it for you live on Tennis Channel as well as Medvedev Isner a bit later on.